150 years. That's how long the Methodist home for children and youth has been in existence in Macon. Hello, I'm Ben Sandifer, and on this episode of Middle Georgia Podcast, we'll hear from members of the leadership team, the board chair, and several alumni of this familiar campus on Pierce Avenue in Macon. So how did the Methodist home get started a century and a half ago? Retired President and CEO Steve Rumford. Its beginnings really came out of the Civil War. But prior to that, Bibb County had a widows and orphans asylum that they started in 1856. And then when the war went on, evidently the reconstruction of the South, they probably had a hard time keeping that going. But a Civil War veteran, uh, Jesse Boring, uh, he was a uh, missionary in San Antonio, Texas. He was a missionary in California during the 49ers. Uh, but in the Civil War, he was a chaplain and surgeon. And so he came back to Georgia and was really uh, emphatic about North Georgia starting a children's home. And so he was instrumental in that in 1871. And then he had acquaintance uh, friends here, Isaac Hardiman, who was a colonel at uh, Gettysburg. And together they formed the, uh, the basis of the South Georgia Conference having a home. The home inherited, or we were left with the uh, 94 acres, a free-flowing spring, about 12, 15 children, uh, so many heads of cattle, and uh, it was really isolated out here. You had the Academy for the Blind and the uh, Stanislaw uh, Seminary in this little niche of Bibb County. In the early years of the home, a program began that we know today as foster care. The home pioneered foster care in the state of Georgia when there was a fire in 1897, and all the children went to live with families at Vineville Methodist Church until the building could be built. And then over the next 20 years, the home placed something like 1,200 children in foster homes. And that was a, a, a major new turn for residential programs. That stopped, but then we picked it up years later. Allison Evans is beginning her 10th year as president and CEO of the Methodist Home. Statewide, we have about 90 children that we're serving 24 hours a day, seven days a week in residential care. They're living with us. We have another 30 kids that are out in the community living in our Hope Foster Care homes. We serve over 300 families in community-based counseling and individuals in community-based counseling through Lighthouse for Families. And then we serve another 72 families in family reunification work through our visitation program. So it's a very expansive organization and even includes Eagles Nest Children's Center, which is a 72-seat daycare on our campus here in Macon. What is the age range we're talking about? Considering all the services the Methodist Home provides, we actually start and go from birth through death. I mean, one of our oldest alumni was in his 90s, you know, when he passed away, and we were still connected with him and supported with him. But as far as direct care services, our counseling services and the Eagles Nest Children's Center starts as early as six weeks old. Um, and in foster care program, we've literally brought babies home from the hospital and placed them into to homes in the community. These are sometimes children who have been um, exposed to drugs and alcohol in the womb. So we consider ourselves a holistic care agency. We stay with the people that we serve um, as long as, as they need us, uh, much like a family. So while we are feel like we're kind of big and we've grown in business and corporate model, we try to really maintain that individual personalized touch 
as we uh, reach out to minister to the children and families throughout Georgia. Jeff Lawrence is Vice President of Programs and Services. I stumbled on this ministry uh, somewhat by accident, what, 37 years ago now, when I answered a blind ad in the Atlanta Journal of Constitution, not realizing that I was applying for a job at the Methodist home in Macon, Georgia. Um, but um, Steve called and I came down and interviewed with him. And um, long story short, I made my mind that I would come and work about four or five years in Macon and go back to Atlanta. And um, here I am 37 years later, I'm still here. I've watched this agency grow with no programs, no infrastructure, no real um, uh, physical plant. And um, I've watched it build, grow, become the amazing organization that it is today. When Jeff came to the Methodist home 37 years ago, there was only one other social worker there at the time. I was actually uh, the second social worker, I guess, that came on board uh, with the agency. The other part of my coming here um, is that I was the first African-American uh, that came to work in a professional way um, here at the Methodist home. Um, the latest thing that I'm most proud of is um, us moving towards uh, the sanctuary model of care. We are a certified sanctuary um, agency now. Uh, the Sanctuary um, Institute is out of New York. It is a trauma-informed model for care. We went looking for a model of care to serve our children. What we found was a model of care to serve our organization. Um, it's a whole organization approach. It you know takes in the consideration that organizations go through trauma, and we have to work through you know that sort of trauma narrative. That uh, the people who work in our organization they experience trauma in their own personal lives. Uh, they come to work um, and they bring that trauma with them. And so as an organization, we have to be responsive to that trauma. And then of course it's the trauma of our children and our families that we see every day. Children, families who have been through horrendous kinds of um, circumstances and situations, um, and, and yet they're struggling to survive, they're struggling to thrive, and we're fortunate, blessed to be a part of helping them manage that struggle. The Board of Trustees is the governing body for the Methodist Home, and Jan Tripp is the board chair. And we work with the leadership team here with Allison and have a very good working relationship uh, discussing projects that are going on, discussing new programs, <clears throat> working with funding. It's an excellent um, avenue of support for Allison, and she's a wonderful source for us. We have a, a board that's very involved. Their financial support, their prayer support, their physical presence with us at board meetings and among the staff and supporting the staff has just been overwhelming. I've learned so much being here, being with them, and um, it's been a rewarding experience for me, and I think everyone on the board will, will would say the same. In addition to the familiar Macon campus, the Methodist Home has other campus locations in Georgia. We have a campus for men, for, for young boys, at Carpenter's Way in Columbus. Then we have a, a home with girls in Valdosta and girls um, facility in Americas and we have a boys facility in St. Mary's. In its first 150 years, the Methodist Home has served more than 10,000 children and youth. Two of those, first we'll hear from Mary Alice Hughes Roth of Fayetteville, Georgia, followed by Sandy Shoemate Williams from Gulf Shores, Alabama. I was here from 49 until 1964, and I went to 
At that time, it was Georgia State College for Women, which is now Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville. And I majored in education and I taught for 33 years. And being able to get along with all types of people probably helped me in getting along with anybody that I ever had to work with. And I also just learned a lot of, of just personal skills that were here. And I just appreciate not only what I learned here, but at that time we went to public education, uh, our schools, and also we went to Vineville Methodist Church. And the people at both of those uh, institutions just treated us just like normal people. We were inspired. We had good role models, uh, and it carried over to us, and we didn't feel the need to to have to worry about things, and and we just appreciated everything that people did, and we encouraged each, each person to do the best they could do in school or whatever the area, and whether it was in sports or just daily living, and and our skills have taught us how to just get along. The things that they learned here helped them advance in life. The home took me um, in when I was 10, and I graduated high school in 63 and went on to college and got a, a in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, at Huntingdon College and got a degree in education and then taught seventh and eighth grade English for almost 30 years before I retired. We never let anything get us down, no matter what it would be. Sure, we would have some tears sometime, but, but overall, we learned how to laugh. We learned how to cope with any situation, and we just did it because those are the things that were expected, and, and those are the things that were shown to us. Well, the biggest thing I got is that we were a family. We became a family. There were 125 children living on campus when we were here, and we were just two of that 125. We ended up being roommates, and we just bonded. And as you can see, 60 years later, we're still sisters, coming back to the reunions and uh, enjoying seeing the improvements and reminiscing with our events and things that made us the women that we are today. And I, I can't thank the home enough for instilling that spirit of the Lord and uh, showing us the way and giving us a, a foundation to raise our own families with. Edwin Chase, who now makes his home in Savannah, was known as Buddy when he came to the Methodist home at age nine in 1949. He lived here until he graduated from college in 1963. I lived in Washington, D.C. with my brother Billy, and uh, my mother divorced my father while we were up there. I had a single mother who was supporting two boys, two rambunctious boys. And so it became clear to her that she could not do both. She could not work and raise us at the same time. And so uh, after s several other placements, we came here in about 1949. Because both parents worked, I really didn't get much parenting. I was a wild creature. 
Uh, the only parenting I got was from my older brother, and that was insufficient. My first year in school here was laden with fights at recess and an out-of-control child who had no limits. And the children's home gave me the limits I needed, the consequences I needed, from when behavior was bad. They shaped my behavior, and they didn't let me roam the alleys like I did in Washington. And I've started learning in school and, and got my life totally turned around because I got the supervision that children desperately need. Edwin Chase became a minister and later joined the staff at the Methodist home. There was always a spiritual dimension in uh, our life together here in terms of devotions at breakfast, devotions in the cottage. Uh, then we went to Vineville Methodist Church, and uh, it had a, a profound effect on me there where I, uh, they treated me as if I were a child of God even when I was horrid. One day I came to dinner, just happened to drop by and have lunch here at the home, met the woman who ran Lambeth Inn at Lake Junaluska, North Carolina, spent two summers at Lake Junaluska, heard some of the finest preaching in the world. It was a wonderful experience, and that was the first inkling of my call to ministry. Then later, I uh, uh, went to seminary and uh, served churches for 11 years, and then later served as a pastoral counselor for most of my career uh, as a minister. Then later, uh, Steve invited me to a board of—I was at a board of trustees meeting, and he invited me. He said, let's—Steve Rumford, the, the chairman and CEO of the Children's Home, uh, said, tell you what do, uh, Edwin, let's—in the last decade of our careers, why don't we just blow it out for children together in service to children? And so I came over and served on the staff for 11 years. And though he's no longer a working member of the staff, Edwin Chase continues his involvement with the Methodist Home. My involvement now at this time is as a supporter, and I uh, have just uh, written a book uh, entitled uh, Surprised by God's Kindness, which really is a story of God's goodness to me over the course of a lifetime. And half of that book really is about my childhood years uh, here. And so as a donor, as a um, advocate for the children's home, and, and mostly through my writings, uh, I uh, have been a supporter in that way. Middle Georgia Podcast, the Methodist home for children and youth at 150 will continue after this. Are you looking for your next treasure? Then come shop with us at Tags of Hope Thrift Shop located on Vineville Avenue in Macon. Each purchase you make supports the children and youth of the Methodist home. We accept donations of furniture, housewares, and clothing. We're also looking for volunteers to help in our store. For more information, please call 478-254-2489 or visit themethodisthome.org. Like us on Facebook and shop with us to impact a child's life today. The staff at the Methodist Home is there to supervise, teach, and inspire the children. But we asked Steve Rumford, Allison Evans, and Jeff Lawrence if this inspiration sometimes works both ways. We celebrated 150 years on Saturday, and I found myself sitting out on the porch of our social services uh, building uh, where my office is, and all of a sudden, you know, kids that we raised, you know, started coming by with their own families, you know, raised their own children. And, um, and I realized, Steve, I said, uh, gosh, we were parents 
and now we're grandparents, and <laughs> I'm talking to kids who are talking about our great-grandchildren. Part of the blessing of this ministry is, is watching young people grow and thrive and excel. And I'm going to say that even with those young people who may not fare as well as we would like them to, who don't sort of move in the direction that we want them to move and that kind of thing, uh, just to watch the resilience of kids who have been through so much, but yet they are still fighting, they're still um, out there carving their way in life, sometimes, you know, climbing and scratching to get ahead, but they just continue to push. Rarely does a month go by that we don't get a call from one of the former kids, um, either calling to um, share some great news. Got a call just the other day. Young lady left us some years back, but she called to say that she's graduating from Central Georgia Tech this Friday, and she just wanted somebody to be at her graduation. And it's like, what a blessing it is, you know, just to go and, you know, and I said, you know, to one of our employees, you know, we need to get somebody there. We need to take a gift, you know, and celebrate her, even though she left and and um, um, and she's moved on, she's still our kid. One of the amazing stories that I think about when I think about impact and influence back and forth, I was working uh, on, a, on a, a day, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and in drove a 50-something-year-old man and a 70-75-year-old woman, and, and they asked for a tour. And they started asking, she particularly started asking about the various buildings on campus and details about the buildings that I began to think, gosh, does she have a background in architecture? You know, she wanted to know when they were built, who lived here, what was going on at that time. And, and we finally made our way to up to upper campus where there's a chapel. And she said she wanted to walk up to the chapel. At this point, it, was, it turned out to be a mother and a son. And at this point, the son stayed back at the golf cart. And the, the mother and I started walking toward the chapel. And, and I asked her if she wanted to go uh, around and use the elevator because there's some steep steps. And she said, no, I want to go right up those stairs. And we took about four steps up those stairs. And she twirled around, sat down, and just started weeping. So I didn't know what to do. So I just sat down and held her hand until she she caught her breath and caught her emotion and wiped away her tears. And that's when she told me that her mother grew up here. And she said, that's why I was asking about the buildings, because I wanted to know which buildings were here when my mother lived here. And she said, I know my mother walked up the steps of this chapel. And I wanted to walk up the steps of the chapel where she walked as a child. And then she went on to tell me, my mother accepted Christ here. And because my mother's life was changed, therefore my life was changed. I was raised in a Christian environment. He was raised in a Christian environment. Our entire family had a change because of what happened here. And that's when it sinks into you that, that even when you're working with a child, you are changing future generations and you are making an impact that will go on well beyond the work that you are doing today. Not long after I got here, one of the alumni uh, came to me and wanted to have lunch with me. And that's when I had pretty well accepted that I could be the, the parent of the kids that are here. I could be that surrogate parent. But I never realized that I had the responsibility of being the surrogate parent to somebody twice my age. We went out to the Waffle House and he shared to me why he ran away in 1936. And uh, it was a story of things he thought would be better at home, and he went home and he was beaten, and he ended up having to be out on, the, uh, on his own. And he joined the Army, and then he was at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. 
And uh, uh, that gentleman uh, became instrumental, always a key leader in our alumni association. But he had that identity of the home gave him what he needed to get started in life, and he never forgot it. When my first child was born, I bought a uh, plaque that went above his crib that said, an infant is God's indication that the world should continue a while longer. And I put that same plaque over my daughter's bed when she was born. Um, and so I would reflect that just within the past couple of years, we've opened on our campus an Embrace program. And that is a program that serves teen mothers and their infant children. And so now we are raising little infants on our campus. And the fact that we have served God's children for the past 150 years, every time we place another child in our organization, that's God's way of saying you should continue a little longer. We're going to be here to serve them and to care for them and to support them. And we trust God that he's going to always make the provision uh, for us to be here. We had a young man here, and, and he was a kid who lived with us for two and a half, three years. And he was a kid who started a lot of things and finished very little. He started a job, didn't work out. He started an ROTC, didn't work out. He just didn't have any self-confidence, had some behavior challenges. And, and so after he graduated high school, he finished graduation, high school, he finished graduation, he tried college, it didn't work out. He tried work and didn't work out. And then he decided he wanted to join the military. And um, this past year at Christmas, um, the day after Christmas, I was sitting in a pew in Vineville United Methodist Church and I felt a presence over my shoulder. And I turned my head and I saw a navy blue coat with a red trim. And as my eyes went upward, I saw a, sh a white belt and a shiny brass buckle and buttons that ran all the way to the, 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 the face of this incredibly handsome young Marine. And he said, Miss Allison, I knew I'd find you here. I just wanted to come back and say thank you for never giving up on me. When you take in as many children as we have, from as many backgrounds as they have come from. You see hurts of all kinds, and you see children that have overcome so much, and uh, you see a determination um, on their part to evolve, to become better people, contributing people. One of the privileges we had was we gave each child a quilt when they came in and shared with them how special they were. And just like each quilt is special, they're special and they're different. And each quilt was made by hand, but they were made by God. And so as these quilts were given out, we also shared that it's a patch of their life and that they can choose the direction they're going to go to and that God made them very special and that the, the uh, future is unlimited. Earlier, it was mentioned that foster care started in Georgia at the Methodist home. In more recent years, that service has been revived through a program called HOPE foster care. And that's literally where we go out and recruit couples or families in the community who are willing to take a child into their home. And, and we celebrate those successes as well. And one of the most recent ones that we had was we do this both in the Macon area. We also do it over in the Columbus area. And we had a family who took on three kids. Now, they had raised their children. Their children were grown and gone. They took on three kids. And they found out later that those three kids had four other siblings. So they welcomed into their home all of those seven siblings. And the little girl, one of the little girls, about eight years old, and her Christmas wish this last year, wrote she wanted to be adopted. And that family has stepped up now and had formally, legally adopted 
all of those children. So they're going to stay together as a family and have a family unit for the rest of their life because we just helped create a place, trained the parents, and created an opportunity for reunification and celebration and launched essentially a new family. Another more recent program at the home is on-campus education. Steve had a vision some years back to begin a uh, school here on the campus um, to serve those kids who are better served in a small structured classroom rather than in a public school setting. Uh, that vision grew into what's now Price Academy. Uh, we're serving kids um, grades uh, K through eight, Two years ago, we put in a high school curriculum, an E-2020 program, and our first young man graduated from high school from Price Academy last night. Uh, he's been with us nine years. He had family who came to celebrate with him. It's just a great celebration to, you know, to see you know, that kid grow. That's the inspiration. That's what keeps us going day after day after day, knowing that you know, those are going to be the moments when we know that our work is not in vain. We have so many kids that have had very little to celebrate and very few people to celebrate who they are or what they are and they have felt rejection over and over again. Uh, it's amazing to watch the campus uh, celebrate the achievements of other kids. I mean, they just cheer them on. A few years ago on Christmas Eve, my wife and I got a call about 10 o'clock at night for a boy that was here 30 years ago. And uh, he was reminiscing with his wife about Christmas at the home and they were celebrating Christmas in their home the way we celebrated Christmas here. And for him to go back and, and, and for me to share with him, well, I remember the first time you went to a Braves game and it was raining really hard. Our bus was stuck in traffic and you, I'll never get to see Dale Murphy. Uh, those are just great experiences to see kids thrive. How can you help the Methodist Home for Children and Youth thrive and fulfill its mission for perhaps the next 150 years? Certainly there are folks who, who give sacrificially, um, dollars and cents-wise, but we've got a lot of folks who pray for us out there. But probably some of the most significant gifts we've ever gotten is when somebody includes the children of the Methodist home in their will or their trust. But we're taking care of other people's children. We're doing that with other people's money. And sometimes that's money that they have worked their entire life for. And so there's a respect and a dignity of making sure that if somebody gives us a gift, um, especially through an estate gift, that we follow their desires about how that's used. Several of our kids have been able to go on to college because of college scholarships. Now we look at it and say there's a good way for kids to get to college. We need to get them through high school. You know, we have to get to the point where they're ready for college. And just meeting all those needs, again, given that now we're dealing in foster care, we've got things like diapers and, you know, disposable items that, that families go through very quickly. So... I would just say, what are the needs that you have as a family? We have that multiplied greatly across the state. And just we are grateful for people who share and do what they can. When we started the quilt project, one lady, uh, she contributed 25, 30 of the first quilts. And I went to her home to gather up a couple of them. She lived in a house that was probably worth $30,000 but that was her way of giving well beyond uh, anything we could imagine. Uh, when you had the hurricane uh, that came through, uh, we had kids from all our campuses and the whole Florida campus here. 
and people all over Macon and Bibb County and beyond came in with pickup trucks and cars loaded with things for them to uh, have food and the toiletries and everything else. And I've just always been overwhelmed with the outpouring of love and support um, of the South Georgia Conference, the Macon and surrounding communities, et cetera, um, to watch you know, just the generosity of this community and God's people uh, towards this ministry. Um, I think the other side of that coin is, is that we work hard to help our young people develop a spirit of giving. We are, you know, we, we are constantly keeping our young people engaged in ways to give back to the community. Uh, and none of our young people can receive a quilt without stopping and sitting down and writing a note of thanks to whoever, you know, they've never met the, the people. You know, those quilts may have come to us five years ago, eight years ago, but when that child receives that quilt, that child is going to pin a note of thanks back to that uh, person who, who created that quilt. And that's, you know, part of our task and helping our kids understand that when you receive, you also have to give. Every year during Christmas, our, each of our cottages will produce a huge Christmas card. We'll put it out on the front lawn of the campus and uh, shine lights on them, et cetera. And we say to the kids, this is your gift back to the community. The website for the Methodist Home for Children and Youth is themethodisthome.org. That's themethodisthome.org. Or you can call them at 478-751-2800, 478 and now some final thoughts from each of our participants in this podcast. When there is difficulty in the family, generally speaking, two parents sometimes are just insufficient. It takes really professionally trained people to help children learn the skills, be modeled in terms of what it takes to succeed in life how to have their behavior responded to with care and concern and knowledge as opposed to just reacting. And so I think facilities like this are going to be more in need as stresses in our world continue to mount. The fact that the Methodist home has survived all that it's been through in the last 150 years, we have to attribute it to God. The people that serve the children here, the people who donate money will help fulfill and continue this ministry because the children's needs never stop. 150 years from now, there'll be children in need. There's a work to be done. And every time I came to that place where I felt as though my part of the work uh, was done, that I had done what I had come to do, something else would come over the horizon. And it would come over the horizon, and I would see it coming, and I would say, okay, I've got to be a part of that. It was always something new, always something else, and I just sort of had to hang around to be a part of that something else. It's just an amazing organization. The love and the concern of the people of the South Georgia Conference. They have looked after our children and helped protect our children through their gifts, their time, and their service here, and that has made all the difference. No one of us could do all of this, but together, through all these years, this has been able to to happen. I just look back on my life and I see all the wonderful things that God did in directing me, protecting me, and showing me what I need, needed to do. I'll contribute that to my experience here and the wonderful people that provided for me. Looking back, I can think of the times when we were endeavoring to do a certain project or build a certain building. And it seemed like we exhausted all our resources and then came a surprise blessing. 
and with God's blessing, other people are encouraged or find a commitment to do something that's beyond what we even dreamed about. And so over and over again, surprise blessings have come in at key times. Especially in in Central and South Georgia, our communities were built on neighbors helping neighbors, churches helping people, outreach and ministries. And, And we really don't want to lose any of that as we move forward for the next 150 years. The Methodist Home for Children and Youth, 150 years. For Middle Georgia Podcast, this is Ben Sandifer. Yeah.